Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me as always is Gabe Gums. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Ron Gula. Ron, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm really excited to, to have you on and really learn your story and background. If you want to kind of open things up with the listeners and us, of course, uh, tell us about yourself, where you came from, and how you got to where you are being invested in over 50 uh, data companies. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. So um, uh, born in upstate New York, went into the Air Force. I'm a double, double E. And uh, when I was in the Air Force, uh, my last tour was at the National Security Agency. And I got involved in what was cybersecurity in the mid-90s. Nobody called it back then. If you said cyber back in the mid-90s, they might have thought you were like a Doctor Who fan. And, and who isn't? <laughs> But, uh, but while I was there, I got to do some, some really interesting things. And then I went and I got, I just, I've been very lucky my entire career. I got to work at, you know, the place that kind of invented the internet, BBN. I got to work at one of the first cloud companies, US Internetworking. And while I was there, I, I had some, uh, some hackers who were, you know, doing some interesting things. And I ended up, um, you know, I had the idea to kind of write a network intrusion detection system. Um, and then uh, my wife basically said uh, she could run the business. So we started Network Security Wizards, wrote the Dragon Intrusion Detection System, sold it. You know, probably 18 months later, had no idea about venture capital or M&A or anything like that. Um, but uh, that set us up to start Tenable Network Security, the company that acquired us. Uh, Jack Hufford was the guy on the M&A team there. We started Tenable Network Security together. And 16 years later, I leave right before an IPO. So my wife and I could start investing. So the, uh, you know, the funds that we were able to kind of amass over the past 20 years, having a couple exits, we've been helping other people do the same thing. So uh, we invest in funds now. We invest in startups. We invest in nonprofits. Anything we can do to increase cyber and entrepreneurship, we're, uh, we're all about that. So anybody wants to see it, go to gula.tech. So that's G-U-L-A.T-E-C-H. We list all our companies all our nonprofits. And uh, we blog a lot about, you know, just trying to be either inspirational or sharing, sharing information about uh, starting companies. That's really cool. It looks like Gabe, Gabe, that interests you a lot. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I've been in InfoSec for quite some time. I, I mean, I've been dabbling in it before it was professional in the late nineties and then kind of entered into a professional setting in the early 2000s. So, so I, I, I've followed your work for quite some time. I, you know, I've, I've been hands-on with, with Dragon. Um, I've been a big fan of Tenable from day one. Um, I was excited when I saw Jack Daniel uh, took a spot over there not, not too long ago. Um, Jack, Jack's a you know, huge figure in the community and big fan of him. So I just personally wanted to say from one InfoSec professional, thank you. I, um, I really appreciate that. And, and uh, I don't think, you know, if you look at the people who start companies and and bring technologies out, uh, it's very humbling to understand that, you know, some people make a career off that technology or they make a, uh, they protect the network, they protect, you know, things that matter. And it's just very humbling to, to, to see it go, go, uh, go end to end. I appreciate those words. And anybody who's listening and thinking about start a company, you got to have that, right? I mean, if you want to start a business, look, you're going to make money, you're going to lose money, you're going to hire people, you're going to fire people. But ultimately, you should be doing a business to have some sort of protecting goal 
in mind. And, uh, you know, if you, if you do your job right, you might keep China out of the military. You might keep a presidential candidate from getting their campaign hacked. You might keep some child from being sexually exploited. I mean, there's so many things that cyber touches. It's, um, it's such an amazing time to be involved with this industry. Indeed. And I'm not sure if you, you were aware, but, you know, our slogan here at Spirit is protecting what matters most. Mm-hmm. And it oh, yeah. Comes, yeah, quite quite natural to this organization. It, it, it was it was built into the DNA of this company um, 15 years ago. So uh, we, we certainly share that sentiment. That's awesome. Yeah. So what piques your interest when deciding to support a technological endeavor? So as an engineer, and my wife's a ceramic engineer, you know, we both have to kind of understand the technology, uh, but we also have to have to like the team. And uh, there's a lot of people that we really like, but their technology wasn't maybe something I felt was that interesting or or that unique. And there's a lot of people who um, maybe had a great technology, but they weren't, you know, somebody that we either wanted to work with or thought we could help. And, you know, a lot of times real simple things are extremely telling. Uh, We invested in a company uh, called Scythe. And uh, during the um, diligence you know, we were suggesting that the product should also be named Scythe. It used to be called Crossbow. And, and, and the founder very aptly says, well, I'll, I'll change it. But that, that type of decision um, might take years to yeah. convince another company to change their brand or change that. And I resonate with that because at Tenable, you know, we had Nessus, we had Security Center, we had Tenable IO, we had a couple other products. And I always heard this, oh, it's, you know, you should really just call it all Tenable. And I was very resistant to that. And I kind of... Um, you know, I kind of try to share that kind of info with the companies we work with. So where do you see cyber tech and cyber policy heading in the future? So it's a, it's a really interesting time because you've got these technology platforms out there. You know, you got the phone company, you got social media, you've got Microsoft and Google. And then you've got companies like, you know, Cisco and Palo Alto who are basically struggling to be to be relevant. You know, if we all no. go to the, the, the cloud and, and, and whatnot, and I'd, Yes, I just did call a multi-billion dollar company, you know, relevant. Of course, Cisco is relevant in Palo Alto. But if you look at the trend lines, you know, if I can buy everything in the cloud, why do I need to buy, you know, traditional traditional stuff like that? So that's, that's, that's really interesting. But then you trickle down to, you know, companies I'm invested in, companies you guys are probably using. I mean, maybe even you guys itself, you know, we're kind of all, all a little niche yet we're all making money and we're all helping customers. So the question is, how does this all play out? And yeah. I, I think there's a couple things that are going to happen. Uh, you know, one, you know, the cyber uh, industry is going to continue just to completely grow and be dominated by lots of big companies, but also hundreds of thousands of small companies. It's just there's too many different ways to solve this problem. There's too many different priorities out there. Uh, the second thing is that the government's actually going to start passing even more laws to uh, require security, to require compliance. The Cyber Solarium just concluded, and this is a bipartisan Senate and House thing, where they're gonna recommend like 85 changes, 85 laws. And it's everything from like, how do you be, you know, how do, how do you get the economy, uh, how do you get the economy to recover after a cyber attack that's like the equivalent of like a nuclear bomb being dropped all the way down to how can we educate the, 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 the general public. But then I think the last thing that's going to happen is, you know, COVID and this work from home uh, and this concept of a remote workforce is just also going to really amplify 
the need for being safe in cyberspace, for understanding who we're dealing with in cyberspace. So everything that we're doing, like you guys securing the data, finding the data, threat intelligence, understanding our assets, understanding all, it's just going to be even more important going on. So, so it's going to be an exploding, uh, exploding industry. And then yeah. you mentioned policy. I, I do think the government's going to probably pass legislation that you know, allows it to inspect or require inspection of uh, data at rest, data in the cloud, data in motion, data everywhere, you know, data, you know, and, and that's going to be tough. I, I think it's needed, but I just hope it's done in a way that can't be, um, you know, abused, maybe like a FISA warrant. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you hear the term data privacy, what, what does that mean to you and the companies that you invest in? Yeah, I always like to fall back to the the holy trinity, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So, mm-hmm. you know, privacy is not the same as security, but man, when you have one of these conversations like that, and like I do a lot of, I go out to high schools and actually I do it virtually now, you know, nowadays, but you know, you have these conversations and it's like, well, how do I stay private? And I'm like, well, right. privacy is, it's kind of like if you're into physics, it's, it's Heisenberg, right? If somebody's observing what you're doing, it's not necessarily private. But at the same time, you know, I talk to kids who are, you know, they they uh, they want privacy because they're uh, ripping movies or, you know, buying buying uh, secondhand vapes or, you know, going on to alternatives to Reddit and stuff like that. And I always tell them, like, well, you want privacy from your parents. You want privacy from maybe law enforcement. You want privacy, but you certainly have no privacy with the person you're doing business with. And I always scare the crap out of them and, and, and talk about how. Um, you know, companies, well, I don't, I don't want to out them, but a lot of these threat intelligence companies, they go on to all these dark web forums and they participate and that's how they gather their intelligence. And I'm, I wonder how much of the dark web forums are actually our, our threat intelligence companies, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, participate in that kind of stuff. So it's a scary world out there. Um, but privacy is such a relative thing. I just try to remind people that it's, it's, you got to understand who you want to be privacy from. And then we can have a conversation without that sort of policy up front it's kind of hard to just say, I want to be secure. I want to be private. Yeah. I guess since you kind of touched on it, we can talk about it because we did offline more education for data privacy. What, what did you mean necessarily about that? So I think the average, you know, U.S. citizen, uh, if you, if you talk about the, somebody in high school, K through 12 right now, you talk about somebody 30 to fifties, then you talk about, you know, 50, 55 and up, they're all, all going to have different sort of reactions to what is uh, privacy and, and what is an invasion of privacy, right? Like, I, I think a lot of us would, would, would strongly object to random people coming into our houses and, 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 and looking around. Yet, a lot of people hire, you know, services to come in their house every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Amazon's dropping off at the door, ringing doorbells, and they're opening stuff there. So these basic concepts of what we consider sort of our lives and our boundaries. They're they're different from you know from every point of uh, uh, every every point of view there. Um, and then when you actually start talking about and there's an expression you know everybody likes sausage but nobody wants to see how the sausage is made and what's going in there. And and when you look at marketing and when you look at the amount of data that these stores collect on you, you realize that you know it's not the national security agency and the FBI and the local police you have to be worried about. It's your jeans store or your shopping mall. I mean, I mean, some of these companies have apps they give you that when you go into the store, they place you know audible messages that your phone can hear that you can't hear, so they know you're in the store. And and is that an Orwellian thing? I mean, is, does that make me buy more jeans? I, you know, that that's the kind of thing that's happening that I think the average person, when you tell them about that, 
they just feel so overwhelmed and like, well, what do I do? Not go to the mall? Do I not buy things on Amazon? <laughs> so, um, yes. you know, I just try to make people aware of those things so we can get the benefits as a society without yeah. you know, getting that abuse. There are entire home communities that are being sold to be completely wired with IoT devices plugged right into Amazon and other companies. I don't, I don't know that the the tolerance for privacy will ever really trickle down to the consumer, and it becomes one of these things where how do we how do we protect them from themselves? Do do we have some kind of you know internet seatbelt law, internet helmet law? Like, look, you you can't do this activity because it will otherwise create a greater threat towards privacy. I feel like you know. Post World War II, there's there European countries that kind of get that innately, just based on the nature of their history. But as Americans, I'm not sure that translates the same for us. That's a that's a really good point. And communicating to the masses is tough because, you know, we can see how easily a tweet can be twisted and misrepresented. Not, to, but but you still need these slogans that are fairly powerful. So we all know about um, made in China, right? If something stamped made in China, it's probably made in China. But what if it was data hosted in China? Like that yeah. completely changed the buyer sort of perception today. Now, I do think that's kind of a racist statement, right? It's fairly anti-Chinese, even though there's the Chinese are the bad people on the internet right now and whatnot. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Are, are there a lot of attacks from China? Absolutely. Is everybody who's Chinese evil? Absolutely not, you know? Right. Uh, another one is just getting people to understand how they're exploited. So another slogan is, if it's free, it's me. You know, if I'm getting a cheap... Samsung TV, and it's a really, really cheap deal. There's probably you know apps on that thing that are recording what I'm watching, what I'm doing, possibly listening to me, you know that that kind of stuff. I don't mean to pick on Samsung. But there's there've been reports about how you know those things are are getting, um, you know, basically prices lowered because there's there's apps on there that are collecting everything. Uh, same thing as you know, if you get free email, you know, people aren't doing that to be benevolent. There there's a business model there. And people don't realize that, you know, if those things are free, it's probably you. So I like that if it's free, it's me. Make it personal. Uh, my, my take on that one is always, if you're not the consumer, you're the product. It's usually how uh, I, yeah, no, it's, it's 100% true. No, nothing comes at zero cost. Mm-hmm. Oh. So let's talk about failures. Um, you've been around since the beginning. Was there a lot of pushback? If there was, how did you stay the course or was it even planned that way? Oh, personal or just like for the cyber industry? Yeah, just personal, personal for what you, how you become what you become. Like, oh yeah. So I guess my biggest, um, uh, so I, I want to be a fighter pilot. Like, so I grew up, I could tell you the difference between all the different versions of an F-16, which missiles were infrared versus radar guided. I, I walked awesome. into flight school knowing the difference between energy tactics and angle dogfighting tactics and it blacking out at like three and a half, four G's. That's not a good quality for <laughs> a fighter pilot, right? So I left flight school. And um, they call it self-initiated elimination, which is a fancy name for, um, you know, for basically just ejecting, right? Um, but, uh, you know, that gave me a lot of perspective with, um, you know, when I, when I did go back into the cybersecurity, talking to military folks, I had a lot of respect for, for what pilots were and what a leader, you know, maybe a general who was a former fighter pilot. It was pretty easy to get some uh, perspective on what they were doing. Um, so anybody who's a good entrepreneur is going to take any type of failure and, and, and learn from it. Um, another one was, um, it's, 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 um, I I don't know if it's failure, but I, it's, it's definitely context and timing. 
you know, like everybody knows Betamax was a better standard than, um, uh, you know, VHS. And a lot of times, you know, the best products don't always win. And as an engineer, I, I really want to have the best products. And I kind of stopped trying to have the best product when I really understood what was, what was something. And, and I'll, I'll give you a good example. So when our first company we did was Network Security Wizards, and it was, it was Dragon. And um, we had never, ever uh, focused on evasion. So you do an attack, um, you, you can send a query to a website, and, mm-hmm. and you can do this yourself, right? You can take the, the slash or a character, and you can change it to, to like percent %2F, which is something called Unicode for, uh, for, for characters. Well, if your intrusion detection system is looking for, you know, slash and a URL, and it's not accounting for that sort of um, uh, uh, evasion or, or, or the different ways you can do that attack, you're completely blind to that kind of stuff. So, so we failed doing that, but we recovered pretty quickly and added added a whole bunch of, uh, of rules and and engines to detect that, including, gee, if somebody's doing a lot of evasion, that might be a form of of, uh, of detection. So again, every one of these failures is a uh, an example of something you can learn from and 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 move forward. Awesome. So, how can people or consumers better control their privacy? That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, the one, one way is just take an asset of where everything is. And, you know, if you think about your bank accounts, if you think about your automatic bill paying, if you think about your, your IT infrastructure, you know, did you give your son or daughter a credit card to put onto their Apple account so they can buy apps? You know, did you, you know, what is your footprint out there? You know, do you have something like a LifeLock? Do you have something that's going to alert you to that? Are you looking at your, all your emails? You know, do you have a separate email for, for, um, for social media versus one you do business with. You know, there's so many things you can do uh, for that. Uh, and lately, what I've been referring uh, to is, is just trying to really minimize. I mean, we, we live, I, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, yes, there's people in America who don't have computers. So what I'm going to say next are, is going to be a little um, uh, thing, but I think for people who have multiple computers, they should really be thinking about, this is my computer for business. This is my computer for social media. This is my computer for gaming. It shouldn't be all the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it is. And um, so there's a lot of ways people can get control of, uh, of, of those types of things. That's interesting to think about because obviously that, that takes more money <laughs> to, to have it that way. But at the same time, it, you know, everything It takes costs. more money and you're, you're right. But it, there's, there's different ways you could do it. Like let's say yeah. what you use for social media. All right, great. Chrome's your browser. Why not have Firefox and Safari uh, for banking? Now, of course, if your computer is compromised, you know you you would think that that doesn't uh, you know give you a lot of isolation. But the reality is, is there's a lot of you know attacks out there that target you know banking industry based on mm-hmm. plugins and, and and controlling that 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 there. Um, you know, if James Bond comes after you, if the best in you know Russian cyber offense comes after you, you're not going to stop them. But so most of what you need to do is just not get caught in in sort of the the wide nets that the spammers, the fishers, the crackers, all those different people mm-hmm. you know, are doing. And small things like that can make a big um, a big difference. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's talk about media privacy. I know you mentioned that. What exactly does that mean? So it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, we want to have an educated media. And, you know, I've had a chance to speak with a lot of folks, a lot of reporters, been on TV, been, been on that kind of stuff. And I'm just amazed at the amount of, you know, folks who are in, in industry. And, you know, the first thing, the first thing they teach you is if you're talking to the media, there's, there's nothing on background, you know, kind of, kind of ever. 
But at the same time, you know, you do want to be able to have a private conversation with folks in the media and just give them the lay of the land. And I don't care if they are the biggest liberal, the biggest the conservative, they're for Trump, they're not for Trump, whatever, but they should know how the internet works. They should know, you know, which laws and which states are, are kind of in play. And so I'm a big fan of having a private conversation with the, with the media so that they are better educated and better can better report on, on that. And I've been involved with a number of different projects that are, you know, designed to do that. Some are a little bit more overt than, than, uh, than that, but, um, you know, I think that's really important, uh, important type of type of thing. And then the second thing is that technically a lot of these, these journalists I speak with have absolutely no cybersecurity, absolutely none. And there's been a lot of cases where you've just seen, you know, China hack in, you've seen, uh, you've, you've seen this administration, you've actually seen the previous administration do wiretaps on journalists, which is, which is kind of rough. So, you know, when you start having conversations about how signal works, you know, how the internet works, you know, what, what can and can't really be, be done with that. And that's the kind of something you should be, I mean, you don't want to teach people how to commit crime and then evade detection no. on that. But, you know, if you've got sources and this is a major story, um, you know, I mean, look at, look at Edward Snowden. I mean, you know, is that, uh, you know, something that, that, uh, you know, would have been, um, that's probably not the best example, but but there's there's more interesting things. If you actually have a, a valid source who's coming forward, and it's not uh, the kind of thing where you you where you think the media is being trolled, because we're seeing a lot of that right right now, right? Where there's sources with information both for and against kind of what's going on. Um, yeah. You know, so the question is, is how do you have those kind of conversations and protect you know those witnesses? And I just you know I think law enforcement and anybody who's surveilling. Uh, whether it's a foreign intelligence, anybody who's valuing me, it's having a really easy time. Uh, just because most of the media organizations are so underfunded, I mean, their business model is completely upside down right now. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's definitely interesting times. You know, it's funny. You just mentioned the the Snowden, which I saw the movie, of course. Great story. Great movie. I think they did well. It makes me It makes me think of a question. If you were in his position, would you have done the same thing? I, I don't know. I tend to believe that um, what we know about him and what was disclosed was not the, the full story. So I'm not, yeah. not going to say if I was in his position. I, I mean, believe that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big UFO fan. And I would like to think that uh, people who know about UFOs would, um, you know, would come forth and, and disclose that. And that's, that's a very, you know, kind of out there kind of example. But then the question is like, okay, there's other ways he could have gone, gone about doing that. I mean, there's so many things, but the thing is you're dealing, I mean, I'm former NSA. So like when you're, when you're have access to that kind of information, Mm -hmm. there is a huge amount of oversight on, on what you're doing. And there, there's ways to bring that information out. Now he claims that he hasn't, I, I, I haven't asked him, like maybe he tried and it just hasn't come out out yet. I didn't see the movie. Um, but one of the things that, um, you know, cybersecurity just over the years we've dealt with, I mean, at Tenable, we sold the intelligence community. I, companies who sell to the intelligence community all the time. There is so much oversight uh, going on uh, that, you know, yes, there's a bit of groupthink that, you know, everybody thinks this is okay. This is a sanctioned program. But, you know, if there's abuses, there's definitely ways to, um, uh, to go about that. And I've personally talked to a number of former directors of the NSA about this. And, um, you know, I'm much more of the, the thing that Edward Snowden's more of a traitor than a hero. Um, but uh, I don't know what he tried first that, that hasn't been said. Yeah, that's a good point. So 
with the, the years of knowledge that you have and where you are now and all the companies that you invest in, do you have any advice for younger people that are trying to get into cyber, into technology that you can give around any, anyone that's an entrepreneur that wants to, to kind of follow that same path or, or start up a company in, in tech? Do you have any good, good words of advice? Absolutely. So, so getting into cyber is a little bit different than being a cyber entrepreneur. So I'll take them, take them separately. So for people who want to get into cyber, you know, the the question is, what do they want to accomplish? You know, do they want to, you know, be the chief information security officer of a uh, company? Do they want to be the world's best hacker? Do they want to, you know, find malware, you know, in nonprofit organizations, you know, in, in the third world? So there's so many things you can, you know, you, you, you can do there. And it's like saying you want to go into healthcare. Well, if you want to go into healthcare, what do you want to be? Do you want to research cancer cures? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a nurse? Do you want to be somebody who, um, you know, is an ER, an EMT, right? Cyber has all of those same kind of different skill sets. And a lot of times people see cyber in the movies or they hear about a news article. So I, I try to tell them to do a couple different things. So, so one, check out Cyberary. So Cyberary is one of our investments, but they, they've got a free offering of almost any type of cyber curriculum they want. You can do certifications. Cool. You, do, um, you can dive deep with some vendors. You can go deep in wireless security. If that's your thing, wireless security, knock yourself out. If you want to be a web application pen tester, do that. But the way I talk to people about it is you should try all these different things. Maybe you suck at all of them and you really shouldn't be doing any of this, right? Maybe you're a gifted malware person, but, but OSX and, 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 and Apple just doesn't make sense to you, right? So you want to expose yourself to those, to those things. Um, if you have the ability to learn while you're doing that, you're probably going to do well in cyber. So I, I tell people, expose yourself to that. If you can figure it out, do it. If somebody spoon feeds you a bunch of stuff, that's great to start. But if that's your long-term plan is to get spoon fed, um, you're not going to, you're not going to keep up with the technology change. That's, that's, that's coming. Um, uh, Cyberry. So it's like library, but with a CY they've, they're approaching 3 million users right now. They got about two and a half, 2.6, something like that. And, um, you know, the way they make their money is, you know, if you want to get certified, they provide you the certification exam and that that's a fee. And, um, what they do is they work with corporations who want to hire, uh, organizations and want to have consistent training for their for their employees, and that's that's a big deal too. I've seen that's excellent. Yeah, uh, and then what I've also found as far as just getting into it, uh, you know, there's organizations across the country. A good one that I well, as far as getting into cyber, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. But let's talk about inner city. Let's talk about you know uh, economic depressed areas and 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 whatnot. Cyber, nobody really cares, you know, at the other end of the keyboard, who you are, what you look like or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, we definitely do need to do a better job in this country of getting everybody involved, right? It's traditionally been, you know, white men basically getting involved with, with cybersecurity. So the one group that we like to support is a group called Year Up. Uh, Year Up is an organization that kind of targets uh, in depressed areas, you know, kids who probably should have went to college or at least a two-year school. Uh, but either didn't know about it, think about it, have the money, have the means, whatever. And Europe specifically does uh, rapid sort of IT certification and cybersecurity certification. Uh, I'm from Maryland. We, we tend to work and support the one in Baltimore, but they're all across the country. Um, there's other groups out there. Uh, Empower is one. 
there's a couple others like that. So, I mean, if, as far as getting more people in, it's all about your community, like what, what they're doing. And, uh, we like, we like that as well. And then, um, maybe just talking about cyber entrepreneurship. I, I mean, if you want to start a company and, and solve a problem, you got to know about the problem first. When I meet an entrepreneur who's like, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. That's always a tough conversation. Cause I, I then come right back with that's great. What problem do you want to solve? Right. Most people who have a problem they want to solve realize they're an entrepreneur. It's not the other way around. We can't all be quarterback. We can't all be, you know, we, we can't all fly the plane when we're on Southwest, right? There's only one pilot, two pilots, whatever. Um, you know, it's the same thing with an entrepreneur there. You got to have the skills, you got to have the, 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 the knowledge. And a great way to do that is to get exposed. If you do work in cyber for a while, if you do consulting for a while, if you do, uh, you know, run IT help desk, you know, whatever you're going to see a need and you might really be inspired to, to solve a problem. If you don't have that inspiration, it's great to want to be an entrepreneur, but, um, you got to have that inspiration first. And, and then once you do, there's a whole plethora of techniques and, and um, uh, business models where to, for the problem you're solving, are you going mass market? Are you going to a reseller? Are you going to a large enterprise? Are you going international? There's, a, there's all sorts of different sort of um, uh, playbooks, you know, for how you can launch a business, grow a business. And uh, there's tons of people. I mean, the amount of people who, I mean, most people who do well you know, eventually, you know, start investing in other companies or get into venture capital and it becomes this like feedback loop. So um, I definitely encourage anybody who's thinking about going and starting a company to, you know, to, to understand why the problem they want to solve is solvable and why they think they can solve it. You, you speak to me on quite a few levels there. I, I, I try to live in problem space as much as I can, which does beg for me the next question. When you identify that individual, when you identify that problem, what do you look for in terms of innovation, what, what, what do you see as innovation worth investment? So this is a good, um, a really good question because a lot of times, uh, you know, like, let's say we have, uh, an algorithm and, and this algorithm, maybe it's an AI algorithm image recognition, and it runs in five seconds and somebody comes up with a way to make it run in one second. And, and now they got the one second algorithm, right? And, and, and now they want, and then let's say you went out and created a company with that five second algorithm that's worth a billion dollars. So now somebody comes along and they make a one second algorithm. So, well, I want, I want a billion dollar valuation. No. Right. So I, I see this all the time where people come out with technology that's slightly better than what's on market. And they think that that's, that they're done. Right. So, so what's to prevent the existing incumbent company from coming up and improving their algorithm? Um, what's to, what, what's the cost of switching out that algorithm? A lot of people say, Hey, I, I've got a router that's better than Cisco. Okay. No one, you know, no one's going to rip out the Cisco routers tomorrow for something, you know, that that's, that that's there. So these innovation things, you've got to look and understand, is this something that people are going to buy? Now, are you going to go to a different vertical? You know, might, you might be able to make money by going into dentist office, right? Going into car dealerships, going into real estate offices, and that's not to say that they're not as important as like a big bank, but a big bank's got a hundred thousand, half a million computers. You can do one transaction there and maybe get a million dollar deal. Whereas in that small business area, you know, you might have to do a, you know, 10,000 transactions to get that same kind of revenue. So there's different business models, uh, you know, down, down at that, that level. So um, the CTO of Tenable who, who helped us uh, found, found Tenable, he talks about this, you know, if you're 5% better than the incumbent thing, 
it sounds like you want to buy it, right? Don't you want to get 5% better malware detection? Don't you want to detect 5% more vulnerabilities than, than, than the Tenable does? But the reality is, is if you have an incumbent player, that's not enough. And for some companies, it might be 50% better until they switch. It might be 50% cheaper until they switch. So the whole point of, of trying to look at evaluated technology is not if it works, it better work, usually it works. His question is, is it sellable? Will people buy it? It's great, great advice, great advice. Awesome. Before I go into my last segment, Ron, is there anything that we didn't talk about or I didn't bring up that you would love to bring up on the show and, and tell our listeners about? Yeah. So if you've got people who are listening who are, you know, across the country, I mean, one of the big needs right now across the country is, um, you know, helping out the, the, the politicians and the election committees, you know, with, with cybersecurity. And you'd be surprised, uh, even though you've got the, uh, the EAC, the, the Election uh, Assistance Committee, you've got the nonprofit that we're with defending digital campaigns. But, the, you know, the reality is, your precinct, your your has having huge up uh, huge upheavals, right? We're possibly doing voting by mail. We're possibly updating the cybersecurity. Right there. If you have time to volunteer, if you have time to just understand at your local county level, because God bless America, we have a state by state and a county by county election. You can actually probably make a bigger difference by volunteering a little bit, even if you don't think you know that much about cybersecurity. I would encourage people to just reach out to their campaigns and their precincts and however they, their counties and just see if they can volunteer and get involved with uh, helping, helping make sure we have a free and fair election. Awesome. All right. So for some uh, fun questions, what's your guilty pleasure? Cigars. Cigars. That was quick. (laughs) Awesome. Do you, do you like to have a certain drink with a cigar or just a cigar by itself? Usually never cigar by itself. So I'm definitely a, uh, you know, bourbon, maybe some wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, my wife does cigars too. So, um, so it's good. I always use it as a crutch for um, people who smoke, people who are like a pack a day kind of people. I'm like, Hey, why don't you quit that and just do a cigar once or twice a week and, and uh, you know, clean up, clean up your lungs a little bit. As That's good advice. I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily endorsed by the surgeon general, mind you, but um, you know, if you could be a superhero, who would it be and why? So um, it's not your, not the question you ask, but um, you know, we gave, uh, we gave our boys uh, uh, Spider-Man posters for Christmas a couple years ago. Uh, definitely understanding that, you know, with great, great, uh, you know, power comes great responsibility and, and uh, you know, we're just trying to do our part and trying to make sure they understand that and whatnot. So, you know, I like Spider-Man, I like Dr. Strange, I like Superman, I like Batman, I like Iron Man. You know, I'm not going to pick one. They're all good. Yeah, I feel I the same I way. I guess I can't say, you know, James James Kirk, right? I can't say he's not a superhero technically. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's uh, Star Trek, right? Star Trek, James Star Kirk? Trek. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, Cameron's favorite superhero is Underdog. Underdog is excellent. <laughs> I, and uh, I, I watched the entire season of The Tick. You know, love X-Men. You know, yeah. it's good stuff. Yeah, I like it all, honestly. Um so if you could ask your pet three questions, what would it be? Um, so I don't have any pets. My wife has fish. I'm allergic to dogs and cats. Um, you know, the, the pets, you know, I had a couple of pets growing up. What would I have asked them? That, that's really, that's a good question. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that one. So I'm just going to phone, phone home, phone a friend. <laughs> All right. I got a good one for you. Um, when you were a kid, what was your favorite toy? 
So I had um, I had Micronauts growing up, where Micronauts okay. basically um, kind of like Legos, but you could t- take the ships apart and build new ships. And it wasn't necessarily like Legos, but you still had like wings and missiles and engines and and uh, the, the the people could bolt on. So I, I was a big Micronauts fan. It's funny how that uh, correlates with what you got into with flying and and everything. That's so funny. How, how old were you when you had those? Uh you know, I guess maybe eight, nine, ten. You yeah. know, I got I got some toys behind me here, including <laughs> I had a Millennium Falcon. This is a a uh, you oh, know, it's vintage, awesome vintage. You know, nineteen nineteen nineties Millennium Falcon, and I had it hanging, but it didn't hang too well. I mean, a lot of people are doing their zooms from their libraries and whatnot. I'd rather surround myself with the toys I played with rather than the books I read. My heart weeps, by the way, that it's vintage from the nineties. Yes, wanna- yes, yes. <laughs> So you're, uh, I'm, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I, I think it's, I'm more of that I'm sorry, Star Wars. That's probably 80s. Holy oh, yeah, that's God. 80s. No, I was in high school in the late 80s. So that's got to be um, early to mid 80s. I apologize. Oh, wow. I'll do a couple of rapid ones. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, yeah, both. <laughs> both. And quote him, watch him. I'm really looking forward to the next season. Here's the real question. Windows or Linux? <laughs> uh, wow. So so I just downloaded off of Steam uh, the updated Command & Conquer for my Windows gaming laptop. Uh, I've got probably five Linux servers at the house running various products that we've invested with. And I'm speaking to you on a nice, you know, what is it, 24-inch, you know, iMac. So mm-hmm. I don't discriminate. I use all the uh, opera. The judges will count the iMac as a Linux machine for now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It is Poisix compliant after all, and I can drop to a shell. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> so I'm sharing my screen now for the listeners that can't see this. Um, Ron, let's talk about these two pictures that you posted on Twitter and kind of explain what we're looking at here. So the uh, so this this is a sequence of uh, it was supposed to be a day day in the life. This is a Twitter kind of thing where you're just supposed to post a picture of something that happens in your day without any explanation. So anyway, the first one on the top is basically the shelf behind me, and what it is is Godzilla is the the toy on the right, Mazinga is the toy on the left. Uh, they were members of the Shogun Warriors, which is a line of of uh, toys that was out probably in the, 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 the mid, mid eighties or so. So I've had these for a long time. And, and like I said, I put them there. Mazinga fires missiles. Those are, those are missiles that come out of his arm, which is kind of neat. And then, um, you know, I'm into UFO science fiction, you know, that kind of stuff. We sponsored this um, uh, event in Howard County where the theme was aliens and yeah. this was like a fundraiser for the library. And at the centerpieces, they had these UFOs, <laughs> you know, basically, you know, sucking up a cow, you know, just kind of like you, you get the stereotypical UFO abduction. So, so I got a couple of those back there. <laughs> oh, uh, I've, I've taught myself how to play piano last, uh, last couple of years. And, um, I'm, uh, this is a Roland, uh, Roland keyboard, professional keyboard. And, uh, I probably do about a half hour, hour a day on it. And I don't read music. I've got this thing, uh, there's this app where you can download MIDI files and, um, it's kind of like guitar hero. So the, the chords and stuff will come down. Like the, the, if, if you look at the, the thing there, uh, it tells you which keys to play when, but it also, it's also the background stuff. So it actually sounds like you know what you're doing, which is kind of cool. That was um, days of my life. 
It's awesome. It makes it more enjoyable too. If you're, you know, don't have the time, you just want to play some, some good music. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Um, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you didn't have to, and I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and giving us your, your background and insight. And I think your story is great and very motivational. So thank you for what you've done and what you're doing and, and for helping uh, with organizations and, and everyone else that's trying to trying to get into this realm because it's extremely important. And uh, that's, that's why we're doing this podcast because data privacy needs to get out there and, and people need to learn more about it. Yeah, I'll echo that. Thank you again for all your contributions to, uh, to the community. You mentioned earlier before about, uh, you know, some of your inventions uh, helping drive people's uh, careers, et cetera. It's, it is no longer on there, but at one point your, your technology was uh, on my, on my resume. So <laughs> much <laughs> thank you again for that. And, and for the folks that would like to interact with you, I assume they can find you over at Ron Gula on Twitter. Uh, correct. At Ron Gula on Twitter, Ron Gula on LinkedIn, uh, Gula.tech's our website, blog a good bit. And I'm happy to hear from people. I spend a lot of time giving career advice, suggestions, and uh, best of luck to everybody. Thank you so much for having on me on the show. And thank you very much for the kind words. Cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.